Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Thanks for joining us today on Faith in Your Recovery. Have a good friend here with me, a you know, fellow pastor as well as uh, a confidant. We've had lots of good conversations about life, about ministry, about struggle, about hope, about God, the whole package. And she has a great deal to share with you today. So, Angela Smiley, welcome. Thank you. It's uh, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. We look forward to what we ha- what you uh, what you have to share with us. So let's just let's go back. I I understand some of your background. I know what's going on in your life now. Some of it, yeah. But the folks out there, our listeners, uh, they have no idea. So tell us what early life was like for you, please. Okay. Well, early life. I was um, married very young. I don't want to go way young. I was sixteen years old. So that's. Mm-hmm. When my I was pregnant and and was married at that time and did give birth to a son three marriages later and I found myself started using drugs probably about twenty six twenty seven years old. What marriage was that? Angela? Um, that was the th- second marriage, okay. and I was with my third child's father at the time. I it sounds cliche, but it was it was literally my gateway drug was actually marijuana. I was drinking way too much, and so I started smoking. Um, was able to put the drink down completely. It just didn't have anything for me anymore. I was an area manager for a truck stop, so I was I was all over the place driving. But I was introduced to pain pills and speed. Truck drivers are super friendly and super great, but they like to share. So no one really knew for a lot of years that I had cycled like I was. Um, I would wake in the morning and smoke and couldn't get functioning until I would take a pill. So I would cycle like this throughout the day. And I did it for a lot of years. So you were able to hide that oh, yeah, from most yeah. around you. It was right. Just... <laughs> I know it was the Lord now, but he had gifted me with the ability to speak. So I was able to go to doctors once I, I realized uh-huh. which drugs would do what for me. And I had at one time, I think I had about four doctors prescribing for me. So I would say, well, I wasn't, I wasn't that bad. You know, but I was really bad. At my low weight, um, I checked myself into rehab in 2004. My child, my oldest, my youngest daughter now was only a year old. She just turned a year. I went to rehab on my own. My weight was around 90 pounds, and I knew that something had to give. At that time, I had zero faith. I did not believe in God. I didn't go to church. I'd suffered a lot by my own choices, but I a lot. And so if there was a God, he wouldn't want someone as foul as I was. So I did go to rehab. Coming out of rehab, I had... How long were you at rehab? Um, I would th- believe I was there a month, just a month okay. inpatient. I, w- I was diagnosed with some mental illnesses on top of my addiction at that time. And so I got more drugs. It amazed me because I was like, okay, well, I'm supposed to take these pills and this is going to take away the desire for these pills. and Trading pills. Right, right. I went in with a problem with a couple of drugs, come out with this basket of 
dope, really. And and one of them legal dope. Legal dope. Point. In two thousand five, I hit. I'm going to say a bottom. And I realized after researching some of the drugs that I was taking that uh, one of the side effects was suicidal tendencies. And I I did overdose in '05. I took everything that I had in my basket. It was my own ignorance at the time for not researching what I was taking, but I had lost custody of my daughter, my youngest. I'd quit my job. I was just in a bad headspace. So I overdosed in 2005. I took everything I had. I <laughs> It's a cool story about that. I mean, it's cool now because I'm here to talk about it, but I remember I thought it was my sister who had come in and I remember vomiting that night and, and I'm smiling because I knew that she had made me sick. She ran her finger down my throat. And it was in 2009, I went back to her after I had received Christ and I said, you know, I never thanked you for, for saving my life. I never thanked you for, for doing that for me. She said, I never put a hand on you. I didn't touch you. You were vomiting when I got there. I was like, whoa, because I knew I was at that time dying. So I knew that God at that moment, I think that in 2005, that's when I was like, maybe you maybe, started to turn. There, the maybe there's something. Yeah. Maybe there's something more to this than what I can see now. Let me interrupt you sure. here. 2005 is mm-hmm. when you started to I was realize a, there was this. a stirring. Okay, mm-hmm. good. There was a stirring. How long had you used at that point? By 2005, um, how many years had you been using? I probably started in 99. Okay, so five or six years. Right, right. Okay. And- and I was, I always worked. I was always able to get jobs and Functional. good pay. Yeah, good paying jobs. And I didn't see that I was an addict until I looked in the mirror and saw that my body looked like a corpse. You know, when you're buying your, your clothes in a little girl's section and you, you've got to get slims to boot. It was just, I realized that I was dying physically dying. So I knew though there was a stirring that started, God really started to work on me when I went back and journaled and, and wrote the story, you know, all of those years. And I still work on this because it's the pieces will come back. And I'm like, well, I didn't even think about that until you start getting into the word of God you and you're bet. like, Oh, there I am. You, you know, <laughs> right. You can right. Handle it. right. And so he's given it to me and he's given me these incredible, um, miraculous stories that really align with his word in the truth of his word and it's still happening to this day so my husband and i met in february of 05 he found me in a bar he loves to tell that story so i'll just go ahead and beat him to the punch he this is brandon my brandon right okay and you know you do know my husband he's a good man he's just a good man and i only really went in for one thing at the time i still was very broken woman i told him everything about myself and he told me he loved me so I ran. <laughs> um, I ran from him and then I came back and I would run from him again in 2008. Fast forward, I, w- I took all the medications that the doctors were telling me to take for these things that were wrong in my head. My weight went from 100 pounds to nearly 200 in less than a year. I wasn't doing illegal drugs, but I was, something was still very off. Yes. I started amphetamines again i'm gonna say it was um it was adderall i got a hold of some adderall and i lost some weight and i decided i wasn't going to take anything else then and it got me going again just full-blown addiction again and i ended up leaving my husband in 2008 so 
with the Adderall, you said it got you in a full-blown addiction. Sure, Only with it, or were there um, well, other I started uh, smoking again. I started, worked with some folks that had, people just had pills. It, it was everywhere. Okay. It was absolutely everywhere. And people were, almost like you go to a bar and somebody wants to buy you a beer. And that's where drugs at that time in 08, oh, well, not 08, so 07, 08, people would just give them to you. They would just bring them to work and you would you would do them at work. You would... And, and with a lot of that, even with opioids or um, amphetamines for me, it would really just speed me up. Yes. And then the marijuana would calm me down and could eat and go to sleep. I started cycling again, hit it from everybody. I hit it from my husband. We weren't married at the time, but I, I hit it from him. Life spiraled out of control again in 2009. I was living in Yorktown. I ended up getting my daughter back, my middle daughter. I'd been battling for that one for a lot of How years. How old was she? She at was that thirteen. Time. Okay. Yeah. So, and there were some circumstances that I was watching and listening to this kid because everybody's got brokenness. A family that didn't stay together, mom, dad. There's always going to be brokenness. And the one thing that finally brought me to my knees was having this. This young girl back, she's 13. She's pretty beat down. She pretty broken herself. I was still broken. And I heard her parroting things that I had said and trained her to say for years. And it, it was an oh my gosh moment. I can't sleep. I can't get my mind to shut down. I can't rest. I'm so anxious around people. I'm this, I'm that. And, and you know, and it was almost like she was labeling herself to try to fix this with a pill. Yes. So, and I knew that, and I knew that it was me that she had learned that from, because anytime I wanted to go get prescription drugs in my brain, I would start saying this stuff and I would set it up beautifully. It was set up beautifully. And then I would go and get the help I remember the day that I actually surrendered, and it was in 2009. Joy FM was still on the radio out of um, Union City. Union City, and I hear this song that was Natalie Grant's held, and the words that brought me to the floor were to take a child from his mother while she prays is appalling. And I could not believe, I never prayed. I never prayed for God to save me. I never prayed for God to save my children. I thought I was their savior. I thought I was the one. October, I'd moved back home with Brandon. We we got our daughter. We had our son. And I surrendered my life at that moment to God. And it's been a ride ever since. We just, I haven't stopped. So that was when again? 2009 was... October 2009. So it had been about a 10-year battle at that mm-hmm. point, on and off, mm-hmm. but certainly about a 10-year battle. More on than off. What yes. is the darkest moment you remember from those 10 years? I, I think the night that I tried to end my life, the night that I took um, all the prescription drugs. Actually, after that had happened, I had promised my sister I would stay put. I wasn't going to go anywhere. I was going to stay in my house. She took everything that I could harm myself with and left that night. I packed up my vehicle and I took off for Florida to finish what I had started. Um, I had an eight ball of cocaine. I don't even remember the drive down. And I stayed down there, just really crashed with some people. And again, I just, God wasn't ready for me to do that yet. I feel like the Lord protected me from myself. So how did you feel toward your sister at that time? Was it 
Was there any understanding of what she was trying to do? Was it a love-hate thing? Um, is this an older sister mm-hmm. or a, an older sister? So yeah, an older sister nurse. Sister, yeah, uh, doing her thing. And, yeah, how did you feel well, toward I, her? I think toward all of my family. I was 16 when I left. So they were all around the area and they stayed and I, I left, you know. And so they had their marriages and they had their husbands and their kids and no one was divorced. So we want to talk black sheep. I was her. I was, yes. the, you know, so I, I knew that. Did they make you feel like the black sheep or was that more self-imposed? I'm going to tell you something. My kids love this. No one can make you feel anything, but I, I made me feel like that, Yes. you know, because you're looking outside, looking in, you're like, you didn't have children with the same man. You didn't have this. Uh, normalcy that they had you know so now I was the fun aunt I was the one they wanted you know the nieces nephews liked me to be around and maybe I was fun and I did blow a lot of money I mean I just I I was fun but you know you know when you walk in a room and it gets quiet that kind of happened a lot that's a giveaway isn't it that there's a reason for the sudden silence Mm -hmm. and all so all right, that's been about a 10-year downhill ride. Mm-hmm. And then you said you came to a recognition of of Christ and, you know, I'm going to guess your value self-worth. That had to grow. That doesn't happen in a heartbeat. No. and uh, no. Tell us a little about <laughs> that part of the ride. That part of the ride was interesting. In fact, we're going to go back just a little bit to 2005. I had, okay. I did go back in 2005. I'd wandered into this church right so I'm, I go in and this was before and it was it was before I and this is important this is why I feel like I need to tell you this um I went in on a Sunday morning and I was took my children with me my had all three of my kids and they kind of shuffled them off into different rooms and I went and I listened and I wept wept I cried I cried I cried I went down to the front after the um service and I I asked for prayer and the women were so kind to me at the time and, and people were, pr- they prayed for me and I went and I got my kids and I had been invited to this thing. These, these ladies, they were having a Super Bowl party that year. So and about this time of sure, year. Sure, sure. So they're having this party and they're like, well, you, you know, and the church is getting together and you can bring your kids. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm nervous wreck here. I'm a sleaze bag, you know, and I know I'm a sleaze bag. I've lived it for X amount of years. So I go and they shuffle my older children in the basement. The ladies tell me to go into the other room. You know, I wanted to help in the kitchen. Can I help? Which, no, no, no. You just go relax and you take your baby in there. So, okay, you know, I go. And I went in the only room where there was people. And that was actually where the game was at and we're going to be playing. And so the men were in there. And I remember distinctly this woman coming back in. And I pray to God that they listen because I want everybody to know this is why I'm so passionate about what I do. She came in and she goes, oh, you don't want to be in here with them. She shuffles me off to another room alone with my baby. I go downstairs after about, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes of it, and no one is talking to me. No one is, is interacting with me or my child. And I just went downstairs, and my kids looked miserable. They were still parked where I left them. And I said, guys, are you ready to get out of here? And that night, I took all the kids back to their dads, and that was the night I ended up nearly taking my own life. And I say that because I think that it's very important. I know people look different at church or they try to act different. It is so important to not do that to people because you don't know 
when what's going on in someone's heart in their mind and if they're reaching out you better be ready to help so was this rejection that you it were was, feeling certainly a right. lack of acceptance that was my first shot with god i was like i'm i cannot even believe this happened i was i i felt dirty i felt i felt rejection i felt like i never wanted anything to do with christians again they were awful awful understandable understandable miss you know, unfortunate for certain, yeah. <laughs> but I understand. I've heard similar stories. I've had similar moments. I hope I've never created the moment for someone right. else. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. Yeah. All right. So you start that uphill journey. Oh, Take yeah. us on that. Then we want to move to where you are in your life now and some of the dynamics oh, okay. involved with it. Well, 2010, Brandon and I were married. We're married in our little church in Saratoga. And Pastor Carl Green was the, the man who married us. I know Carl. Yes. The only thing I've ever known to do to, to bring people in together is to feed them, literally feed them. And so we would every Sunday buy chicken. You know, he called it Chernobyl chicken, but that's mean. Because it's got pieces. You just don't know where that came from. But we were broke and he would buy this chicken and we would invite all these people over all the time. One, because these women cook better than I did, but we were able to put together a meal. And so this fellowship thing began where we were feeding people after church all of the time. In 2011, I had started to hear about heroin. I had no idea. Uh, you and I actually had, With all that you yeah, had been through, heroin was never, a foreign substance. I, I was thinking that was a 60s drug. At that time, the Lord put a burden on me to do uh, drug convocations inside you know for the schools for the educators because when i started tracking it it wasn't the dirty families or the families from the wrong side of the tracks these were well-known families in the community and their children and and it was devastating to me to see the the damage that it was doing and the hold that this drug had on so many and i i, I believe that Part of me, it was to protect my own children. So in my ignorance, and, and I, they say ignorance is bliss, so this was one of those good things. I would ask people to come speak, you know. In our first one, I remember we did the convocation at the Fieldhouse in Winchester. We had over 2,700 students at that first convocation. So I said, are you paying these people? I said, well, no, I'm not getting paid, you know. So I didn't even think about that part of it. When we got through several thousand students all of Randolph County, um, people did volunteer their time they came in and spoke and then I kind of backed down a little bit I think a while from that and I'm and I'm still kind of wondering what I'm gonna be when I grow up right I <laughs> Just, hear I'm you. like oh well, what I'm gonna do next that takes us up to about what 2012 2013 okay mm-hmm. okay I know your your struggles have changed it's yeah. not you battling the the drug now or any form of it directly but certainly in an indirect way as it's affected your family mm-hmm. majorly yes majorly, yes will you share with the folks what that's about because i know there are others out there angela who are dealing almost exactly at least close enough they're going to get what you have to say so share right. that thank you i have right now my husband and i have our grandsons one will be a year old we got Cohen first. We got him in September, um, in September 10th, but he will be a year February 19th. When we were called by DCS to come get him or by my son 
to come and get this child. So your son called you and said, "Ask me to come and get." I can't yeah. handle this. Whatever. Well, he was the baby was removed. Okay. At that point, okay. mom, mom and dad both. Mo, so mom and dad both couldn't pass. DCS had stepped yep, in. That he was, said, "This he's is going where with family, or he's going super. with, or he's going to go into foster care." So okay. you know, I came and I picked him up, and I learned at that time there was a second child that had been born in. November and I kind of tracked that mom down. Of course, Facebook is a lie. <laughs> it doesn't always show you the truth. And I reached out to her and she wouldn't allow me to see the baby. She said she didn't wasn't gonna keep him from us. By Thanksgiving, which was actually my other grandson's birthday, he was removed as well. He was taken from a trap house mess. It was just a mess. Long story short, I have two babies now at 46. My husband just turned 50 last year. I had to detox one. The other one was in foster care for one week before I got him. So it is, it's heart-wrenching. And and it to start over, you know, I haven't had kids at home. My my youngest daughter just turned 18. She's not even in the house. So you think, what am I going to do with all this time? Well, here, Lord's like, I'm going to give you some more kids. So, yes, yes. but it is hard because you've got this anger, you know, as a, as a mom, you've got the anger for your adult son or daughter who can't seem to put their children first. You've got this frustration with the system who allows X amount of drug screens being failed and and chance after chance after chance. And it just been a journey. There's been fear every night. You know, I'm, I'm thankful to stay and I don't care who hears it. My son's in jail and I was so, so relieved. Explain that because I know there are folks out there who don't get that. Well, when you wake up, you know, and I'm, I'm a woman of faith, but I would wake up many times just wondering, is he dead? Is he dead? Has he overdosed? Has he died? You know, right now, fentanyl is, I've never seen anything worse in my adult life than I have right now. Every time someone uses its roulette, you are taking a loaded gun and you're pointing it at your head and you're going to hope you don't get that bullet. Yes. And, and so I know this. And every time, you know, when my son was on the streets or not locked up, I worry. Because they hadn't checked themselves into rehab. They haven't been in contact with the people they need to be in contact with to even see their son, let alone get him back. Yeah, I mean, I know he has a pulse today because well, he's he's behind bars. I, you know, we follow each other on Facebook, mm-hmm. okay? And I know you had a post a little while back. And I just want to share the first paragraph with sure. you folks. You've already touched on part of it. But here's what it had to say. I want to thank those who have informed me my son has been arrested and is currently in jail. My response to this is relief. As a parent of a child caught up in addiction, jail's better than a morgue. There are things every parent of an addicted son or daughter feels. If you're fortunate enough to never have gone through these things, consider yourself blessed. And just as you alluded to a moment ago, you spoke of the fear, you spoke of that anger, that that frustration. Here you also mentioned the regret, wondering within yourself the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and, you know, how could I have done this differently? What kind of a negative influence did I have in moments or whatever? How have you managed to move beyond those and i know they've got to be revolving they've got to be continuing to cycle back and forth in your life depending on a phone call or the moment or what the kids are doing i know god plays that role in your life but how do you deal with the daily challenge pardon me at your age I know. <laughs> of raising these two grandkids when i retired from the church i was at we had five 
sets of grandparents raising their grandkids due to addiction issues. Mm -hmm. And five out of about 85 or 90 in attendance, that's a large percentage. But how do you deal with the daily challenges? Well, first and foremost, I begin every single morning with um, just giving God Take your time. Giving God all the glory because he saved these babies, right? He he pulled them out of this horrible situation and he saved them for a time just like this. And so it's not often in this life we have been given the opportunity to redo. And do I blame myself for my son's addiction? Yeah, pieces of it I do. I didn't raise my son. My son was raised by his father and stepmom and there was parents that want to be buds. They want to be friends with their kids and they let them have this. So much easier. Yep, sure is. Had I been the woman I am today, I would have fought harder to remove my son from where he was at and how he was raised. But I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that mentality, that mindset. But get having these children has just opened up the, all a whole new world. I'm, I'm documenting well. I'm journaling well. I am. I know that the Lord saved them for a time such as this. It, my mom' heart, my mother's heart. I would love to see God restore my son. And as long as there is a pulse, there is hope. It, as long as there's a pulse, there's hope. So I pray for him. I pray for the mothers. And that's hard too. You people are like, how do you pray for somebody who would do this to their children? Well, how did Jesus die on the cross for me exactly. while I was still yet a sinner? So finding that unconditional love for people when you can look at these babies and say, well, they were hurt. With my son, I've been able to tell him this, and I've actually I've written it to him also that the most adult thing I've seen him do at this point in his life, he's, he's 29 years old, was calling me for these boys for calling me and he doesn't believe in God or he tells you he doesn't and he's not not a guy of faith at all and so I feel like God had his hand on these kids now dealing with the stuff coming every day I have no idea really how I'm going to take care of these kids and, and will my health hold out you know I've lost some weight I'm in ministry you, you mentioned that and it's there is just so much every day in fact even getting here today was just like really because you got to find a sitter and they've got to be approved through the system and you've got all these well, things I know we tried a couple times to get you, okay, (laughs) three, and Mm -hmm. stuff happens. We know that. So I'm thrilled that you are with us today and can share this. What's some of the stigma and bias you have faced? What are some of the things you've been told that you know, nah, (laughs) that's Um, not the way it's going to be? Are people supporting and I'm not speaking to your church. I know they are. There's no doubt. But tell us a little about that. People are very judgy, and they are very, um, not to me personally, I mean, I think indirectly. I've seen it throughout the, the last silence 10 years. again when you uh, step absolutely. in the room. Because they think, well, he's an addict. You were an addict. He got this from you, right? You know, or, or they think um, we failed them somehow. Um, as parents, we failed and my kids would never do that. My kids would never have been free to run like that. My, you know, so we measure up our own lives up against someone else's when yes. you can't do that. That's just ignorant and it's uncalled for and, and God doesn't do that to us. I have a lot of people say, how can you just turn your back on your son? I haven't turned my back on my son. I'm re- I've got the best part right now of my son in my house. I kiss his face every single day, every day. My son is not bad. God doesn't create bad people or bad things his addiction was his choice just like it's my choice now 
Do I see cyclical abuse in in addicts? Absolutely. Yeah. I see it all the time. But I also see families that say, I've never drank. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything. And their kids are still using. Their kids still got involved in things they ought not have been. You know what? If we hadn't answered all that, you and I wouldn't be here. No. Uh, If there was an absolute path to be followed, if there was a one-size-fits-all and we know better. Right. Yes, yes. So it is God. I mean, I truly do have to give God all the glory because it's, I can't do this on my own. There's no way. When we got the second child, I was concerned. I was really concerned. He was not where he should have been at a year old. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with a handicapped child? You know, and just to see the Lord transform this little guy just because of love, because of love and structure and sleep and food. And it's it's astounding, amazing. I think of the story of Abraham in the scriptures when it was time to leave home and go to a foreign land. He was asked where he was going, and his answer was, I don't know (laughs) where I'm going. I just know I'm going. Right. And that's kind of your tomorrow. I know you trust it to God, but you can't predict it. And going through this at this level. So let's, let's kind of wrap this up with a question. As you recall, the name of our broadcast, our uh, podcast, is Faith in Your Recovery. Mm-hmm. What does that title mean to you, Angela, in your words? And to me, and I... However I, broad you want to go. I know this to be truth. Without God, I would not be sitting here today. Without my faith in God, I would not be here today. To do things on my own, was I would fail every time. I failed every single time. I've been to NA, I've been to AA, I've been to all of these things, and and I understand a higher power, but honestly, that faith, that belief that I have and hold for the Lord, for him and him for me, I couldn't be here today, and I couldn't be, he's taken all the brokenness that he has healed in me, and he allows me to have that voice to share with people on the journey, because it we're never just completely healed and got it all figured out. The time we think we do, another baby's coming, I, so I'm not, not going to ever say God over here. You're not naming and yeah. claiming, yes, no, but no. if it happens, you'll be I there. I would absolutely 100% be there, and I would, I, know I, I would be very, I'm a good support now, I feel like, for parents that are raising grandchildren, Yeah, you know? Because I, I get it. Well, thank you. You're and welcome. thank you for sharing it. You know, to make yourself this vulnerable, to be that open, it's not easy. And, you know, that wound comes back, but it's suddenly healed by just by sharing, knowing it's going to reach someone. Right. So what you have shared today, as I said here in the beginning, I have no doubt is going to land on fertile soil. And And it's going to take seed. It's going to grow. So what you have offered, you may not see the growth, but it's going to happen. God bless and thank you. Folks, thank you for tuning in today. We look forward to having you with us again. God bless.